Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. I recently collaborated with Sprinkler to draft a social media compliance guide, which was released as a white paper on the Sprinkler website. There's a link to download the white paper in the show notes for this podcast if you're interested. And subsequent to that, we decided to organize a webinar on social media compliance, and we called it Trust But Verify. The idea being that on the one hand, you have to teach people to comply so that they're trustworthy. But then on the other hand, you need some sort of a system for verifying that they're behaving in a trustworthy fashion. So this is the audio portion of that webinar. And um, we discuss the risks facing brands today. And uh, hint, it's not just regulatory fines. Um, We discuss what it takes to audit your brand's current practices We talked about the importance of compliance, even in lightly regulated industries and unregulated industries. And we spoke about integrating compliant social business practices into corporate infrastructure. Um, You know, we're we're in this environment now where being compliant has become non-negotiable and being social has become non-negotiable. So how do you balance those two? That's what this webinar is about. Uh, I think it's a came out pretty well, and that's why I'm releasing it as a special episode of the On the Record Online podcast. It features me and Chris Keefe, who is the Director of Sales Support and Operation at Sprinkler, and he was with a major grocery store chain before he joined Sprinkler. And he had some really interesting things to say around how you use a platform to verify compliance. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, We're going to play it for you in its entirety. Thank you all for joining us for today's webinar on social media compliance, Trust But Verify. With us today is our guest, Eric Schwartzman. So why don't we go ahead and uh, and get it kicked off with, uh, tell us a little bit about Comply Socially and yourself. Comply Socially is a company that provides social media compliance training, assessment, and certification to the enterprise. So today we're going to be talking about Trust but Verify, and Eric, why don't you start off with what trust is all about? There's a gap between the degree of trust we have for organizations versus their leaders, and it suggests that relying solely on official voices for social media communications isn't the most productive approach. Why? Because people trust CEOs less than they do regular employees. So even though we've grown accustomed to frontlining leadership, marketing, and PR to inform the public, the research shows that decentralizing external communications by empowering regular employees to serve as social brand ambassadors is a more sustainable, scalable approach. The problem is not everyone is skilled in the business of public disclosure, right? It's one thing to trust the CEO to speak on behalf of the company. It's another thing to trust employees who aren't trained in the intricacies of reputation management. 
So maintaining trust involves not just minimizing bad behavior. It's also about optimizing the impact of unofficial voices on official voices. It's about creating an environment where employees are encouraged and trusted to like, retweet, and comment on shares from your official branded accounts. Now, unfortunately, that's not what happened in the case of GM's ignition switch recall crisis. Their customer engagement chief was actually quoted in the press acknowledging the critical importance of talking directly to consumers via social networks during the crisis. Unfortunately, they tried to manage the crisis exclusively through their official branded social media accounts. And they failed to appreciate that after one of the worst recalls in automotive history, those voices were no longer trusted. So to rebuild the trust, they would have needed to inspire an army of goodwill ambassadors. They would have needed social proof, social evidence. But obviously, the more ambassadors you inspire, the greater the risk of social media misuse. So up to now, the strategy for managing social media misuse at most companies has been to issue a social media policy. But if you think policies protect organizations or their employees from non-compliant use, think again. No one reads social media policies. They sign for them and put them in the bottom drawer. Now, this is a most recent report from a global law firm with a large labor and employment practice called Proskauer, based in New York. And uh, what they found in the most recent report, which was just released last month, um, despite the fact that 80% of employers have social media policies, 70% have disciplined employees for social media misuse. So the rise in policy does not stem the rise in misuse. And, you know, the thing is that many of these companies, their social marketing efforts on the whole have been either sidelined or marginalized as a result of misuse. So just to be clear, social media policies are necessary. You do need them, but they're insufficient for managing social media risk. So let's talk a little bit about risk and reward. Unmanaged risk is a threat to your social marketing efforts and a threat to your business. So how do you manage the risks around encouraging employees who are not skilled in the public disclosure business? How do you encourage frontline employees who have no real training in public disclosure to serve as unofficial spokespeople? In the old days, we used to media train our CEOs. But how do you social media train your entire workforce? How do, you, how do you build trust by ensuring everyone knows the basics around social media compliance? Teaching the benefits is actually the easy part. You know, this is, for those of us that are in the social media, these are things we talk about all the time, the benefits. And there's all sorts of credible third-party research we can point to. But if we're going to scale engagement by empowering unofficial voices, it's really the risk side of the equation we need to educate our employees about. And these are actual fines and penalties imposed by U.S. regulators against employers for non-compliant social media use. So I'll just point out a couple of them. Um, you can be fined by the Federal Trade Commission $11,000 per incident um, if employees tweet on behalf of their employer without disclosing their employee status in the body of the tweet. Uh, if you are scraping 
information off the email, off uh, the internet or out of emails with bots and compiling it into email marketing lists, you know, the find can be in the millions. If you've got, you know, some unit or even an agency that's working for you that's buying fake social media endorsements or testimonials, uh, you know, that can be a quarter million dollar fine. Um, so, you know, the risks are quantifiable and tangible. So let's play the social media compliance game. When you hear me say social media compliance, you know, you're probably thinking about regulated industries. And, and frankly, when I talk about social media compliance, it's the regulated folks that seem to line up. But the truth is, it's not just for regulated companies. Certainly regulated industries have more rules to comply with, but social media compliance is actually everybody's business. So what I thought we would do is let's actually walk through the history of the major U.S. rules and regs that impact how organizations can and can't use social media lawfully in the workplace. And I'm going to use my little pointer here to point out a few of these things for you. And Eric, I did just want to point out that the majority of the audience today is in the regulated industry, so we can certainly talk about how it applies to everybody, but we can keep a focus on regulated as well. Well, whether you're regulated or whether you're unregulated, you still have to satisfy all of these issues that are on this board here. Um, so let's start with the most basic one that gets heralded by compliance officers and general counsels most frequently, and that's the National Labor Relations Act, which was passed by Congress in 1934. And how that impacts how you use social media, whether you're regulated or not, is you know your workers have a right to discuss hours, wages, and working conditions on social media, even if they do so in a manner that's disparaging. And so organizations frequently that have something in their policy that restricts employees from discussing confidential information like wages or um, uh, proprietary information without defining what that is um, are the ones that usually wind up in trouble. In 1970, way before social media was around, Congress passed the Fair Credit Reporting Act and today it imposes restrictions on employer social media background checks, particularly with uh, job candidates. The uh, Computer Fraud and Abuse Act makes using someone else's credentials to access a social network or a Google account for that matter without proper authorization criminal offense. The Electronic Communications Privacy Act imposes restrictions on what type of employee threads can be monitored on social media by employers. The Communications Decency Act makes sending anything, and this is a quote, obscene or indecent. It doesn't really define what that is, but sending anything obscene or indecent to a minor via electronic communications a crime. Uh, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act uh, makes hacking copyright protection software a crime, but actually indemnifies social networks from copyright infringement claims as long as they comply with takedown requests. And then most recently in uh, 2013, the Federal Trade Commission 
pass their dot-com disclosure guidelines, and that requires advertisers and marketers to disclose material relationships in the body of their social media posts. And so these are rules and regs that apply to any U.S. company that makes more than a quarter million dollars a year or has more than 11 employees. In addition to that, FINRA has released social media marketing guidelines exclusively to the financial industry. Um, HIPAA applies to uh, healthcare providers, uh, and it restricts them from sharing individually identifiable uh, patient information. If you'd like a high-res version of this, we're actually going to send it out in our newsletter, uh, which you can get at complysocially.com. It'll be in the June issue. And we created this to show you that whether you're regulated or not, social media use that is non-compliant with any of these rules and regs represents an unmanaged risk. And as you've already seen, those risks have costs. But social media risk is manageable. And it's manageable with training. So if you want to empower an army of online ambassadors, you need to show them what's expected. If you want to ensure uniform compliance with corporate policy as well as state and federal rules and regs, you must provide mandatory training, assessment, and certification. Um, as I mentioned, you know, we maintain the deepest catalog of self-paced social media compliance training courses which can be administered to populations to ensure a baseline level of social media compliance. Now, particularly when it comes to teaching digital literacy skills, the research shows that e-learning outperforms classroom training. And there's really three reasons for this. Uh, you know, the first is the number one cost of training is time off the job, and e-learning's faster. A six-hour class can be delivered online for as little as three hours. Um, E-learning also offers better retention rates because it's pre-recorded, so you can focus on learning instead of taking notes, and then, of course, you can you know, stop, start, rewind. Everyone learns at a different pace. And then finally, and probably I think most advantageously, you know, e-learning is more convenient. If you're going to make social media compliance training part of the onboarding process, um, on-demand training can be, you know, accessed anytime, anywhere, on any device. And I think, you know, being able to provide mobile access is key because the research shows that with on-demand training, um, utilization doubles with mobile access. The other thing you get with uh, on-demand training that you don't get with classroom training is you get a way to assess knowledge transfer. And um, assessments ensure that, you know, people are getting what you're saying and they result in an audible record of who knows what. And that can be very useful in the event of an investigation or dispute because what someone's going to need in a deposition is proof that the employee was trained and specifically what they were trained in. The standards for this type of assessment and certification are two standards called SCORM. 1.2 is the most current in AICC, and these are essentially digital files that result from the completion of a course that can then be transitioned over to a talent management software package and stored against an employee's card. Um, at some of our clients, what they do is they make access to social networks on an employee's workstation triggered 
by their certification. So they complete the certification, they get access to Facebook and Twitter on the company uh, computer. Um, I can give you some details on the economics of virtual training. It takes about 20 to 40 hours to develop one hour of virtual instructor-led training, which is like this, right? This is a webinar. And it takes about 30 to 50 hours to develop one hour of on-demand training, which would be something that people could access, you know, self-paced. Um, these numbers don't include live-action video production. And the standard for a lot of uh, online training, particularly in the compliance sector that's out there now, is basically a PowerPoint with voiceover, which is pretty difficult to sustain someone's attention with and even more difficult to generate real knowledge transfer. Um, if you decide that you're going to generate your own online compliance training courseware, um, you should keep in mind that in this topic, the social media compliance, it's advancing so quickly that you're going to need to allocate resources for frequent updates. And I would allocate those resources for quarterly updates to keep your content fresh. So just to close up on my uh, portion of the webinar, which is about trust, um, and I've written dozens of social media policies for all types of organizations. I, I want to point out, you know, a lot of organizations will use language like, you know, common sense or good judgment in their policy as a way of trying to manage risk. And I think that approach is pretty meaningless. I actually think it's kind of obnoxious because it assumes everyone has the same understanding of what they consider to be acceptable on social media. And the truth is, everybody has a very different idea of what they consider to be appropriate, right? People are willing to share different things. So using this, these types of terms in a policy lacks clarity, it lacks specificity, and that's what leads to misunderstandings, and those lead to disputes and litigation, and that's disruptive your business and your social marketing efforts. You, and, and I see this all the time, you know, policies that say use your common sense, but it's really just a rhetorical catch-all phrase for, you know, exercising good judgment. And if you don't actually show people what that is, and if you're not specific around that, I think that's where you get in trouble. And I, I also think, you know, most of us would agree that good judgment with respect to how we use social media in the workplace is really a work in progress, uh, much more so than a universally agreed upon theme. So if you want to enable trusted social media ambassadors, tell them specifically what's expected, train them to comply with those standards, and certify that they've been trained. Memorialize what you expect from them in a policy and explain your policy via social media compliance training. And now, um, Chris, I think you're going to tell us a little bit about how you verify compliance. Exactly. Thank you very much, Eric. That was great. And if anybody has any questions, please feel free to use the Q&A uh, or the chat function in the, uh, in the webinar to go ahead and forward those questions. And we'll take all the questions at the end. Um, my section on today's talk is, is talking about how do you verify compliance. And so there are a number of ways that you need to, you need to look at that. Um, and, you know, Eric talked about how do we train people, how do we get them to understand what's going on with social and what they can and cannot do. And the other side of it is, is using some technologies and some policies, procedures together to be able to govern and, and impose and verify those kinds of requirements on your employees. 
Governance, of course, is the, is the very beginning of the cornerstone. You need to have a system like the Sprinkler platform that allows you to granularly control governance. Now, Sprinkler allows you to control governance in a number of different ways. We, we have the ability to create groups, and those groups can be either of accounts, such as Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn accounts, or they can be groups of users. Um, or combinations thereof. So what you can do is you can say this business unit has a group of accounts, which is a Facebook, a Twitter, a LinkedIn, and perhaps a YouTube account that they manage for that organization. So we group all those accounts together, and then we can say all the people in the sales department of that organization who are authorized to use social media are in another group. And then we can say the group of sales in this business unit has access to the group of accounts that are in that. So that allows you to create lots of uh, very granular control over who has access to which accounts and which sections of social media. The other side of governance is being able to manage who has access to features and functions within the system. So a simple way to illustrate that would be Sprinkler offers um, a social media um, uh, product management access system which allows you to manage your audio, your videos, your images, and other assets, and control those. And those can be governed just as well. And so you can say, here's an image which is available to um, all of our users who are managing accounts in this organization or this division of the company. And, and that image, that advertising image, or that asset, whatever it is, is only going to be off only going to be authorized to be used by those members of the groups that you designated before. So that gives you a very good control over how things are accessed. The next, the next thing is talking about an approval system. And for everybody in the, uh, in the regulated industries, approval is very, very important, of course. What Sprinkler does is allow you to automate the approvals and give uh, and create very, uh, very flexible approval schemes that can follow exactly what your organization is doing. So if I'm, uh, if I'm a user on the platform and I have access to, uh, or I'm, I'm a member of a group, then that group can be given a specific uh, automatic approval routing that pertains only to that group. So it might, it might automatically route all new messages into the management team, and then from management they might go to compliance, and then from compliance they might go to legal, and then finally from legal they might go into the community management team for, for distribution out to the social networks. And that can be intelligent. On top of that, you can get very, um, you can get very sophisticated with talking about exactly how different messages are routed in different ways. So that if I'm a younger user or less experienced or perhaps I'm not fully trained in social media yet, then I can be given a more restrictive access and, and intelligent routing so that more people are going to have a, a, a look um, at my messaging and outgoing systems and things like that. Next we talk about automation. Automation is vitally important. Um, in today's social media environments for large organizations, being able to handle the thousands and tens of thousands of inbound messages. We were talking with a client um, just last week who, who experiences 30,000 inbound messages a year when they hold major events. I mean, I'm sorry, 30,000 inbound messages a minute when they hold a major event. There's no way that, that any organization, regardless of size, is going to be able to effectively manage those 
Um, so what you need to do is staff up, get your people trained up, of course, and then use automation to identify what's coming in. Use keywords. Look for people that are looking for specific activities that are trying to connect with you about you know, things around that event. And then also use automation to identify the influencers and the advocates and other people that you may have uh, previously tagged or identified before an event or before a, a great deal of activity. So that you can then wrap those team, you know, wrap those people with teams that are designated to handle that. So the concept here is that when I've got a huge flood of incoming messages, I can take people that I've pre-designated as advocates or friends or or members of um, members of some sort of a promotional organization or club that I've got going, you know, for frequent flyers or things like that, and I can put those people into a queue that's that's then directed to organizations or groups of people within my organization who are prepared to handle that particular eventuality and, that, and, that, and those kinds of communications. So this is going to automate everything so that you don't have to depend on your frontline social media um, community managers in order to route messages to the appropriate teams. So routing and scanning for keywords on both the uh, inbound and the outbound side. On the outbound side, scanning for keywords is um, a very tremendous asset for reducing risk. In that case, what you're going to do is look for words that your organization doesn't want to put out there. That can be, uh, to begin with, it can be the seven dirty, dirty words you should never say in television. But you can also put words in there like profit or loss or um, other things that might relate to exactly what your business is. And using, uh, using outbound scanning and automation, you can, even, even if a message has already gone through an approval stream, you can still catch that message and say, I want one last group of people to take a look at that message before it goes out if it contains one of these words. Next, we want to talk about kill switches. Um, Things happen in the world that cause us to rethink how we're going to be putting out social media messaging. Following the uh, Boston Marathon bombing, a lot of companies had the unfortunate um, uh, instance where they had pre-programmed marketing messages and those messages were getting ready to go out. And they went ahead and, and uh, those messages were sent because nobody was looking at it. So, Having a technology that allows you to put in a kill switch so that you can go in and say stop all pre-programmed messaging so that we can go in and take a look at the messages that are going out and decide whether or not we want those to go out at this particular time. It doesn't really matter what the contingency is or what the, uh, what the circumstances around it. Having the ability to say let's just take a, let's just take a pause, stop everything that's going out and let's reassess whether or not that's the appropriate thing for us to be talking to our audience about right now is the best way to approach that. The next thing, and, and this is one of the biggest challenges for those in regulated industries, is classically the approval process runs extremely slowly. And the graphic that we've got showing up it may not be familiar to many, uh, to many people. This is, a, this is a punch clock or a time clock that people used to use when they walked into work. They would take the card with their name on it and slip it into the clock and, and it would stamp the time that they arrived and then they put it on the other side of the clock. And at the end of the day, they'd pick up their card and, tamp and stamp it with the time that they left and then put it on the other side of the clock. So this is a nice antique little time clock. Actually, I believe it's an assault line, um, which some of us may feel like we're working in some days. But the concept here is that if I've got an approval process, in social media today, 15 minutes 
in responding to a tweet on Twitter is a very long time. Three or four hours is, is really, really pushing it. Most approval processes in regulated industries, three or four hours is light speed. It's moving at an, at an enormous pace that you're not used to. So it's going to take time to get the organization slimmed down, streamlined, and, and designed to, to move at the speed of social media today. Having a system that's going to allow you to monitor that and, and measure your progress and see if you can arrange your, your service level agreements with your, you know, with your different teams that have to be involved in the approval and then be able to measure that and report back to those teams and say, you're meeting your SLA or you're missing it. You know, maybe, you know, maybe if you set up a two or three hour SLA, you know, maybe, maybe uh, 70 or 80 percent of the time they're hitting it and they understand that they're getting close to the market, they need to put a little bit of work into it. That allows you to better manage things, set expectations around your organization, and, and, and enable you to communicate to your social media audience and, and set expectations there as well. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at OnTheRecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com.